This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is useful. Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast where we help you learn to invest in 20 minutes or less. We break down the world of investing from beginning to dividend so that you can hopefully make some returns. My name's Bryce and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you going, bro? I'm excellent, Bryce. How are you? <laughs> now, I am equally excellent. You've changed your response. <laughs> One of us remembered to change it up. Not going to say who, but uh, you know. Well, I'm glad you're excellent. We are approaching the competition, Ren. We are. Australia's next top trader. How could we not be excellent when we are just days away? Only, what, four more slates until we kick off Australia's largest university trading competition and we get to send the winners to New York. That's that's a pretty good reason to be excellent. That is excellent. Yes, it's, it feels like it's building up to Christmas time. We're ready. We're pumped for six weeks of trading on the US stock market's biggest stock market in the world. So if you haven't heard about it already, means you've probably just tuned into the show. Head to nexttoptrader.com.au for more information. We won't flood you with too much more, but it's an epic opportunity. And in line with that, Ren, this is going to be our last episode that is in our regular flow. Um, As of Monday, we will be kicking into content to do with the game. But as we've said, the content is for everyone. If you're not playing, don't worry, you will still get a lot of stuff out of the content and episodes that we'll be releasing. Um, So stay tuned. First one on Monday. This episode, Ren, we sit down with a guy by the name of Brandon, who is a YouTuber, among other things. And he has a a channel called Aussie Wealth Creation. We were introduced uh, through Stake, through Matt, and we sat down to have a chat to him because he shares a very similar ethos to us, Ren, in that uh, he started out his investing journey only a couple of years ago as well and found that there were many challenges to start investing just like we did. So rather than podcast, he started to do a YouTube channel and has become very successful as well. So we sat down with him to talk all things uh, stocks and, and value investing. Yeah, well, you sat down. I uh, I have listened, but um, yeah, I think uh, everyone will enjoy it and hopefully it gets them G'd up to uh, join the comp. Okay, so today I am joined by Brandon from Aussie Wealth Creation. You may or may not have heard of him before. I hadn't until we were introduced through our Equity Mates network um, by Matt from Stake. Um, Brandon runs a YouTube channel for beginner investors, which I've had a good look through, and I think it's um, absolutely fantastic and well worth checking out. Um, Cheers, mate. As I said, that's Aussie Wealth Creation. (laughs) It's all things to do with money-saving tips, wealth ideas, but most importantly, info on stocks, everything stocks and, um, you know, the way that you explain and break thing down, things down, Brandon, I think is um, extremely beneficial for the beginner investor. So, we will dig into that a bit later, but firstly, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me on. It's an honor to be on the podcast. I'm super <laughs> excited. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, you've gone from behind the camera to now behind the mic behind the microphone yeah (laughs) so i want to play a quick game that we've now started playing with our guests as they come on the show Um, it's an overrated underrated game to give our listeners a bit of an idea of what your investing style is Um, so i'm going to give you a few investing related themes and i want you to tell me if you think they're overrated or underrated and and why okay so overrated or underrated uh australian property market Oh, gosh. Um, Australian property, 
Uh, overrated. I don't know too much about property investing, to be perfectly honest, but okay, cool. I just, I really like stock market investing. The way I see it is just like, if you compare the two, Australian property or just like property in general and stock market, stock market, you can get pretty much the same return. If not, maybe a bit better, arguable, obviously different stats say different things, but the way I see it, especially if you just want to be like someone that invests for the long term and just like, just doesn't have to worry about too much and stocks are the way to go i reckon it's just so simple and you can just like um, uh, just the, the amount of stuff that i hear going wrong with property and like you got to clean the toilets got to fix the drains got to do this oh maintenance i know the fees yeah, involved are pretty ridiculous as well it's like all i have to do with the stocks is just like log onto the brokerage account and see that they're still there <laughs> know, oh yeah like they're still there shopping all right <laughs> okay so overrated or underrated government bonds um underrated underrated yeah i reckon that bonds bonds are good they they get um i don't know some people don't like them but i feel like they're good do you own any bonds i don't like i say i'm i'm super into stocks i don't know i don't know how i'd get into bonds i'd probably just buy like some bond etf i would imagine interesting okay but yeah risk-free return like yeah yeah it's it's good something that will certainly make up part of our portfolios as we develop uh, more and more of an understanding of how they can fit into things, I would imagine. Yeah. Um, overrated or underrated? Gold. Overrated. Overrated. For me, okay. this is how I look at gold. A lot of people would, you know, a lot of people love gold, obviously, but for me anyway, personally, I just like cash producing assets. And I mean, gold is, is just is just gold. Like you can have a, I don't know, an ounce of gold and a in another year you've still got an ounce of gold yeah you're relying solely on the capital gain yeah exactly yeah Yeah, it's just like the the classic like warren buffett way of of thinking about things you want to buy into well the way i like to look at it you like to buy into cash producing assets you know things that have that underlying value like if you invest in businesses you know the business produces income whereas a gold a gold bar just sits there but then again, like there's there's been that age old thing where it's like in tough economic times everybody buys gold, and I feel like that's very psychological. But I mean, it it works. Yeah. Like, no, I agree. I yeah. Well, speaking of Warren Buffett, is yeah. he overrated or underrated? Oh, he's got to be underrated. He's got to be <laughs> underrated. I love the guy. <laughs> Would you say the same for Charlie? Yeah, for sure. Charlie's great. I yeah. love listening to Charlie. Charlie's he just um, some of the some of the stuff that he says. Is, is flipping hilarious. He's it much is. more blunt. <laughs> uh, for those who are unaware of who we're talking about, Charlie Munger is Warren Buffett's business partner, but um, usually is the one that is somewhat forgotten when, you know, there's people speaking about um, Berkshire Hathaway, but he's equally as important as, as Warren is. Uh, overrated or underrated chart analysis? Or like short-term chart analysis, overrated for sure. I basically never look at short-term chart stuff. That's just that's just me. I don't know. A lot of short. Obviously, there's long-term investing and short-term investing. I'm definitely long. I know a lot of people are short. And if you are a short-term investor, then for sure, like go for the charts, look at the different indicators and and all that sort of stuff. But for me, it just I don't know. It just doesn't really fit in my analysis really too much. Yeah, fair call. Overrated or underrated? A company's balance sheet. Underrated. Okay. Got to, got to, got to like the balance sheet. It's just so helpful. Like it really gives you, it gives you an up to date. Well, when you get it released, it gives you a great snapshot of exactly what the com- like what the company looks like financially. So I think that you can learn a lot from looking at a company's balance sheet. Overrated or underrated? The concept of investing in what you know and leaving it at that underrated i reckon this one does need a bit more context though so for me personally in investing in in what i know is a crucial part of the way that i invest because i find that if i start looking at things that i don't really know much about like i I stray outside my circle of competence just the likelihood that i make a bad investment is going to go up so for me personally like i don't um i get that people can sometimes they invest in just the things that they love and because of that they make they buy companies they love but they make bad investments if that makes sense yeah yeah so i feel like that that needs that bit of context like 
like I definitely invest in things that I really like, like companies. Like for instance, I'll get like, I don't know, like Facebook. I use Facebook every day. Like I know the ins and outs of Facebook. So it's going to be much easier for me to understand like Facebook as a company than, I don't know, what's, I don't know much about banks. So Commonwealth Bank or NAB or something like that. I'm just going to, when I'm researching, I'm just going to get bored. So no, it's a good point. I think um, we'll unpack the circle of competence a bit later. Something that's um, a, a good discussion point. Overrated or underrated? Then uh, exchange traded funds. Oh, underrated. Okay. They're so good. They're, if if you want to just be if you want to be someone that maybe doesn't care for individual so- stock selection, you haven't got time for it. You know, from my point of view, you can just you know, invest in ETFs, market tracking ETFs. I don't really deal too much with like sector specific ETFs or resource specific ETFs or something like that. If I'm using an ETF, I just like to track the market. And the research shows that ETFs in Australia, market tracking ETFs in Australia over the last like 115 years will get you roughly an an annual return of about 10%. So it's nothing to be sniffed at. Like it's pretty awesome. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Overrated or underrated momentum? Oh, overrated. I just don't look at it. I mean, because yeah. who knows when the momentum's going to swing. I think that's just like just my strategy, I guess. Yeah. I think short-term investors would or traders would say differently. Of course, I think they're all about the momentum. But for me personally, yeah, not, um, not so much. Okay. And the final one, overrated or underrated, the concept of margin of safety. Severely underrated. Severely. 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 <laughs> yeah. Okay. Severely underrated. I think firstly, do you want to just explain what your view on margin of safety is and then and then um, tell us why you think it's severely underrated? Yeah, so I guess for, for me, when I look at a, an individual business, I try not to look at the share price first up and I'll try and like, like, you know, classic like Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger kind of strategy. I try and look into the business itself and try and read up and kind of do my homework on the business. And then from that homework, I try and try and kind of give an estimate as to what I think the whole company is worth and then compare that value that I think. And the the value doesn't have anything to do with what the current share price is. So kind of try and take that that current value that I've kind of estimated through calculations and whatnot and then compare it to share price. So for me, margin of safety is when you can find shares where the share or you can find businesses where the share price is severely lower than what the value is so you can buy in and get the ramp up so yeah nice so we will unpack how you find those stocks a bit later as well because i think that's a very important part for a beginner so let's just recap so overrated australian property under for government bonds certainly over for gold warren buffett under charlie under as well you don't you don't not a fan of chart analysis or momentum or at least it doesn't come into your strategy investing in what you know and your circle of competence and you think severely underrated margin of safety so if i am not wrong i would (laughs) imagine that you are a value-based investor hooray (laughs) (laughs) yeah for sure 100 percent. nice so that's good because that falls into the equity mates style of looking at things as well with a with a longer term approach uh that's not to say that we don't uh yes pass the first test that's not to say that we don't uh have any interest in momentum or chart analysis or anything like that we've actually just interviewed um louise bedford who is all about the charts um candlesticks so yeah i think it's going to be a great chat today. So let's start. Where did this all begin? You know, when we were off air just before this interview, um, you mentioned that you were a physio by trade. And here we are chatting all things stocks. You have a YouTube channel of about 16,000 followers. How did you become so interested in stocks and get to this point? Yeah, I think that when, when I first went into physio, I didn't really... I didn't 100% know what I wanted to do, but I kind of just did it anyway. Anyway, I really liked the course. You know, I had mates doing the course. I got to the end of it, started working. And then I realized, you know, there's not actually that much opportunity for massive kind of like income growth over over the long term. So I was like, okay, I kind of identified a problem here. So I, back, back when I first started, like I had these massive dreams. I want to build businesses. I want to solve problems and that sort of stuff. I'm like, hmm, okay, how do I try and snowball my money a bit more? So that's when I kind of started learning about wealth creation. And like a lot of people, you know, you start out with, for me, I started out with Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I feel yep. like everybody says that, but yep. it's a really good book. 
So yeah, I kind of, I read that and I got interested in personal finance and investing. And then I started uh, and I was terrible at it because I just, I pretty much had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> I'd never done any study around it, made every mistake in the book, um, lost money as a lot of beginners do. And then to, to be honest, I started the channel because I was just like, you know what, I just want to make some videos where I can teach maybe tell people about my story and kind of give them the information that I wish that I had when I first started out. Because if I didn't make those mistakes, I would have been a whole lot better off. So I guess from there, I started making a few videos. And I think I was lucky that there weren't too many people out there from Australia that were doing uh, investing related videos on YouTube. So a couple of people watched and it kind of just grew. I saw a bit of potential. This is now two years ago that I started the channel. So I kind of saw saw some videos getting some views and I was, yeah, excited by the growth potential out of it and I just kept doing it because I enjoyed it. And yeah, fast forward two years, I've been super lucky that so many people have decided to kind of follow along and yeah, yeah nice. Yeah, I'm really enjoying doing both, still doing my physio half a, half a week and then YouTube for the other half a week. So yeah. Very similar to the, to the equity mate story, um, which, which is great. So you mentioned there that you know you took the plunge into into buying stocks and and often taking that plunge is the hardest thing for a, a beginner yeah you know you you can do all the reading and research and get your money ready and sign up for the brokerage account and but yeah. it's it's taking that plunge what what yeah. actually made you what what was the final catalyst to push you over and and buy a stock do you think well, I think um, to start with, I was kind of talking to my uncle a lot and my uncle was teaching me about, you know, just some real passive ways, like passive strategies in the stock market, kind of like um, exchange traded funds and listed investment companies. And it was like, yeah, you know what, what you could start with something like Australian Foundation Investment Company. Like if you've read Barefoot Investor, that's the one that Scott Pape talks about all the time yeah. as well. And, you know, it gives a nice fully frank dividend. So, I was like, yeah, why not? Like, that's that's relatively what they term low risk, I guess. And I'm going to leave it there forever. So, that's how I started. That's that's how I actually decided to take the plunge is I was just talking to my uncle who'd done all this stuff before. He's like, well, yeah, why don't you just start really passive? And I was like, if you leave it there for a long time, you're probably going to make money. So, I took that plunge. But, um, yeah, I can understand like it's super, super scary for to to click that button for the first time. And that's what I think about all the, you know, the share market trading games and that sort of stuff. It's just like you never know the emotion of trading and to, or investing until you actually do it. Yeah, absolutely. Do you still hold uh, that, that stock? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I've actually still got the, um, the Australian Foundation Investment Company shares. Yeah, They've been nice. churning away. Yep, reinvesting <laughs> the dividends. Good. But like from, I, I made that first investment and that was like a low risk one. And then yeah. I was like, oh, okay. You know, once, once I kind of clicked that button the first time, I was like, oh, okay, I can click it again. And that's <laughs> when I started running into troubles. You know, you start making mistakes, like just listening to people on TV and stuff like that. Like that was a massive one to see something on YouTube. It's like this big, you know, professional professional looking fund manager. I was like, oh, this guy knows what he's talking about. He's giving his stock tips away for free. Like, come on, I got to get around that. That's fantastic. So, I started buying a couple of individual companies pretty much based just on what he said. And then before you know it, that stock went down heaps. I'm like, whoa, what's going on here? So, that was probably my first big mistake that I made when I was stock market investing. And that's a mistake that you wouldn't know until you actually t- took the step and, and started investing. You know, you can't be taught that feeling, I guess, of uh, understanding what it's like to lose money um, without doing your own research and um, putting your own thought into it. And, you know, it's just like when your mates recommend a stock and you blindly go into it and it goes down, like you a, need to, <laughs> to be at least in the market to understand what it feels like, but you then learn a lesson to make sure that mm. that never happens again. So, yeah, lesson learned. Don't trust anyone but yourself. <laughs> do, do your own research. <laughs> yes, exactly. Man. So, what was one of the other sort of hardest things that you found about getting started? Like, how did you choose your brokerage um, or, you know, did you find it difficult to get the money together to make this first trade? What was sort of the thing that you found the most difficult? I don't know. I think that because I didn't really start because there's obviously such a massive leap from when you come out of uni. For me personally, like you just work in like this casual job and then all of a sudden you're in full-time employment. And at the time for me, like that that difference in income was 
was you know it made, it made me realize like oh okay I've, i'm starting to actually earn some money i should probably do something with it like protect myself so so that's kind of when i got started so that's how i kind of in, started you know building up for that first investment is when i actually got my full-time job um and then i could start to you know save some money mm. but um yeah in terms of like finding a broker and stuff uh i i really just trusted again what my uncle was telling me it's just like you know maybe just go with one of the major banks because all the all four of the major banks offer share trading services and and oftentimes if you if you're with that if you bank with that bank already they give you like little perks of of trading with them as well or investing with them so to be honest i just started out with comsec which is actually pretty expensive actually in terms of brokerage but um no it's exactly how we started as well both both yeah both started with comsec just because it was easy and do you still trade? Do you still trade with them now, or have you moved to something else? I've moved. So for the American side of things, um, I use, I guess, what you guys use as well, which is Stake. Yeah. And then for the Australian stuff, I still do because I've still got some shares back um, when I was using Comsec, but I've been using CMC, which has uh, like eleven dollar brokerage. I'm I'm not an expert. I don't know if that's the best one out there, but I've been using that for a while. But I hear that like Self Wealth is another good one. They've got I think some of the lowest brokerage. IG I think's out there. IG yeah yeah yeah. yeah. So th- there's lots of options. I get that that's like a bit of a barrier to entry as well for a lot of people. It's like what one do you choose? <laughs> well, I think now with so much option out there um mm. you know you can really shop around and find some stuff that is of good value for the for your needs i guess some people don't need all the whiz bang stuff that comes with comsec and the big four you might just want the simplicity of ig so so you bought your first stock based on uncle's recommendation which was a, <laughs> um which was a sort of lic or etf or, or whatever yeah, it was yeah. that paid a dividend yeah. then made a few mistakes by yeah listening to people and and i guess going blindly into it yeah exactly then but now you have a very strong focus on value investing so can you talk us through how you went from that sort of phase of just initially starting to getting a real grasp of what value investing was and how it led to what you're buying today yeah so i think that um well when i I started making a few mistakes and I was like, all right, I got to do something different here. <laughs> yeah. So I, I learned from my mistakes and I was like, I've got to find, you know, I've got to find the strategy, right? And then everyone's always talking about this Warren Buffett character. Like, what, what does he know? What does he know? Anyway, I ordered the, uh, the Intelligent Investor by Ben Graham um, that Warren Buffett uh, always says is the best stock market book ever written. Anyway, started reading that, didn't understand any of it, put yeah. it straight down, <laughs> felt very demoralized, uh, felt as though my dreams had been absolutely crushed. <laughs> uh, but then I came across a YouTube channel by a guy called Phil Town, and Phil Town has this, well, what he calls the Rule One Method. And um, so I started watching some of his videos and I then realized that the that his videos talk through exactly the same strategy that Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger use that was kind of thought up, I guess, at a, at a basic level by Ben Graham. And then he obviously, he really filled it out with the Intelligent Investor and Security Analysis and those books. So anyway, then he turns out he's got a couple of books. So I was like, you know what? You know, I'm, I'm really enjoying his videos. I buy his books. So I bought Rule One, Rule One Investing by Phil Town, and then um, Payback Time, which is his second book. And those two books, I, you know, they're such an easy read. And I recommend these books all the time on my channel because if you're looking at kind of the value investing approach, like Buffett, uh, Munger style investing, and you want a book that teaches that to you and exactly the steps you kind of need to need to follow and the things that you should be looking out for, then Rule One Investing is really a fantastic book to to learn all of that stuff. So Phil pretty much highlights four different areas of the value investing approach. First one, he he talks about making sure that the companies that you're looking at have meaning to you so that you're actually like you're interested in in researching them and looking at them more. Then he talks about um, finding a moat, so a 
big wide intrinsic you know moat competitive advantage of the business so that it stays protected from its competition uh, then he talks about um, assessing management teams because management teams can really screw you over <laughs> if you're not careful um, there are some dodgy managers out there and then he talks about margin of safety so what we were talking about before trying to figure out what the value of the business is and then trying to then use that value and compare it to the share price to figure out you know where where you're at with your with that company so that's really what got me in to the method that I now use and to be honest like I, I got to be careful in my YouTube videos I'm always like oh yeah my method and I'm like hang on no, no, no I shouldn't say that it's not my method at all it really is the rule one method by Phil Towns so I know you probably you probably if you follow finance and stuff you probably hear a lot of book recommendations but for me personally as just like a 24 year old young guy in, in Australia I found rule one to, if you want to get into individual stock selection and assessing businesses Rule one was fantastic. It was amazing. Yeah, great. Well, we'll put that in the show notes. I had never heard of it. Um, Intelligent Investor, I have read and agreed that if you read it too early on in your investing journey, then you can very quickly be turned off because it is quite yeah. a dense book to get through. Yeah. Um, but if it's something that you you know you can revisit once you have a bit more of an understanding, and it's and it is great. So, rule one, that's great. I'm mm. going to put you on the spot. Yeah, go. Do you have an example of a company that you have looked at recently and and let's sort of talk through those four key pillars and and why they appeal so the first one let's do it all right let's let's pick um facebook okay why not let's a lot of people are interested in facebook so for me so the first pillar is meaning so obviously when it comes to meaning kind of the the companies that i feel a lot of people should look at are like you know, you got to think about like, where do you spend your time? You know, what are you an expert in? And if you start thinking about that sort of stuff, like where you spend your time, where you spend your money, what are you an expert in? You know, when you come home from work, what do you then do? That kind of highlights to you. If you actually think about the companies that you interact with, that kind of gives you a good understanding of what companies actually do have meaning for you. Yeah. So, for instance, when I was looking at Facebook, like another example for a really strong meaning for me would be Tesla. Like, I love Tesla. I'm not saying it's a good investment, <laughs> um, but I flip and love that company. I'm like an Elon Musk fanboy to the, yeah. to the next century. Yeah. Um, so, that's another one for me anyway that fits into the slot of meaning. But Facebook for me, like I come home from work and like, what is it, like a quarter of the world's population now? Yes. Daily active users, they log into Facebook. So, so it's like I know the ins and outs of Facebook. I've used it just as a as a you know just a, an average Joe. I've used it as a business side and used some of their their ads and stuff. So I feel like I it, it's a business where if I went and researched it further and started reading things like annual reports, it's something that I could probably keep up with. It's yeah. a fair, it's a business that I'm familiar with, and I think that really a lot of the a lot of what meaning is is being able to understand the business so yeah. you find companies that are kind of like that i really like or that i that i have some experience with and then i try and understand the business yeah i completely agree some people can get lost in thinking that when people say invest in what you know they you know they think that you're expected to know the ins and outs of the company but that's usually not the case it's more about as you said a business that when you start digging deeper, you're able to at least join some dots uh, because you have an understanding of, of how the business sort of operates at a very top level. Yeah. Okay. So, we understand how Facebook works, we use it, and then we move on to moats. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about moats for Facebook. So, I think Facebook has a really strong, first of all, industry leader advantage. I feel like that's a, an undervalued moat. Um, so, a moat is pretty much just like a characteristic of the business that sets it ahead of its competition or it makes it very hard for competitors to catch up with this company. So, I feel like if you look at, for, it, for instance, like social media platforms and you look at daily active users or monthly active users, then you look at Facebook is right up number one. They do classify YouTube as a social media. However, I, I kind of feel like that's a bit different, but YouTube's number two. Uh, but I don't think it because it doesn't really offer the same functionality as what like Facebook does. So I kind of don't really include YouTube. But then you look the next one, I think, is like uh, Instagram or something like that or something similar. And then you've got um, or Messenger and you've got WhatsApp. And then way down the list, you've got Twitter and Snapchat and, you know, all these other ones. So you got to remember as well that Facebook owns Facebook. It owns Instagram. It owns uh, WhatsApp and Messenger. Yeah. So. 
you add all of like the four big dogs up the top of the table and they're all owned by the same company. Mm. So in terms of monthly active users and daily active users and where people are spending their time on social media, you see that, wow, it's just Facebook. It's just no matter what, it always stems back to Facebook. So I feel like that gives them a very strong advantage. Now, they do kind of have a switching moat as well, which kind of suggests um, a switching moat's kind of like you get locked into a particular system and it makes it hard for you to, as a consumer to switch out of that, ecos- like that ecosystem, I suppose. However, I think that's kind of like a weak moat because you could, you could kind of switch across to like Twitter, but you probably wouldn't. You'd come back to Facebook. And the reason that you probably come back to Facebook is because of the networking effect as well. So I think that's Absolutely. another... Yeah, that's another moat that it has, the networking effect. Essentially, the reason Facebook's so good is because everyone and anything is on Facebook, right? So because that 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 network is so massive, that helps them maintain that industry leader advantage and it helps them have a kind of subtle switching mode as well, which is backed up in their numbers as well. So... Okay, so we've understood that they've got a reasonably strong moat um, for competitors to come in and break that. It could be it could be a bit difficult. So now we move on to management, which I think is probably the most questionable in my opinion yeah. when it comes to Facebook. But yeah. mainly, how do you find out about management if you're a beginner? And you know, it, everyone sort of talks about the need of understanding management and understanding their direction and strategy. How do you look for certain traits in managers and get a bit more information than just by reading the paper, I guess? Yeah, management's hard. I, I agree. It's probably the hardest one to assess because um, you're assessing like a group of people. Um, so I think that like at a very basic level, just start like look up who the CEO is and start just Googling them, just figure out like what's going on. So obviously management's kind of been pulled into question for Facebook because, you know, they've had, you know, privacy breaches and Cambridge Analytica and that sort of stuff. So I agree that, yeah, Facebook, uh, management is definitely the, probably the one area that might let Facebook down. So you kind of just do a bit of a qualitative, well, I do a bit of a qualitative analysis of the management. So... I guess a good another good way to assess the management is if you can go on and listen to the conference calls, the quarterly conference calls, which any anyone can do. You just have to type in your company like Facebook Investor Relations. Okay, go to that website and you can listen to the most recent conference call. You can really, if you listen to how the management team answers questions and how they talk about different things, you can really get a good picture of whether this management team is working with integrity. So I think that's one of the big pillars of management is that management has integrity. So you listen to the way they speak. You know, when you're listening to a conference call, you really shouldn't be hearing, you shouldn't be hearing the CEO sound like a salesman or a politician. What you should hear is that they're being transparent and honest because they're talking to the shareholders in the conference calls. So I think qualitatively, I'd start there looking at the kind of the just Googling and also looking at the conference calls and listening to how the management team answers questions. You know, are they open, transparent and honest or are they hiding something? Are they, you know, answering things like a politician? And then after that, I actually look at the numbers side of how, you know, how skillful is the management team? So I'll look at, um, for instance, one of the key numbers that I like to look at is the return on invested capital. And the return on invested capital, um, I don't know if you guys have spoken about this before on the podcast. Yeah, we, we certainly have, but go for it. Yeah, but pretty much the way I see it is return on invested capital, how effective is the management team at taking the capital at their disposal and reinvesting it back into their own business to generate even more profits? So an ineffective management team is a management team that can't really you know, invest very well. If they can't keep... The way I look at it, if the, if the management team can't consistently keep their return on invested capital above 10%, then any money, like it's, it's just they're, they're not being very effective at getting growth out of the money that they're putting back into their business. And if that's the case, then I'd rather them just take the profits and just give it to me as a shareholder through a dividend yeah. or something like that. Just like, if you can't do it yourself as a management team, just give it to me <laughs> and I'll, I'll <laughs> and try do and do something. something. Better. Yeah, I'll try and do something with it. <laughs> But yeah, so I look at that and then I also look at debt management. So just like, um, uh, just things like whether the, you know, the, the debt situation is in control, whether they've got heaps more assets than liabilities. Like for Facebook, Facebook in both of these numbers, they have an incredibly healthy return on investor capital and they have in, they're very, very good shape in terms of their debt situation. So they've got very minimal long-term debt and they've got so much cash on their balance sheet that they could really just pay down all of their debts right now if they wanted to. So... So then 
Moving to the last one, which was the margin of safety. Now, I'm very interested to know what you think about Facebook in terms of margin of safety. I don't know if you've done any valuation for Facebook. Yeah, I, I, I need to go back on it. I haven't done it in a fair while, actually. But um, When you did do it, where did it sort of sit? Was there any margin of safety? Yeah, well, we had the. It's been a bit of a roller coaster with Facebook shares. So if you actually do just look at the share price, it's kind of been going up, and then you hit Cambridge Analytica, and it crashed down, and then it went back up, and then I think that's when they released some earnings, and they said they're investing so heavily in in security and whatnot that it's going to severely impact our profitability, and then the the share price started falling. So. For me personally, like this is obviously just on my own research and, and you shouldn't trust this number whatsoever. Um, of course, you just do your own research. Um, but for me, the last time I did it, I feel like I valued Facebook shares. I, I did this a long time ago, so it's very outdated anyway, but I feel like I valued them at about 160, 170 or something like that. Okay. But but then again, that's that's at no margin of safety. That's like, no. So the way I do it is that you, you value it and then you have to give yourself a margin of safety because... When, when I do my valuation method, I'm trying to calculate what I think is going to happen into the future. But obviously, the future hasn't happened yet. So, there's no way you can tell for sure with 100% accuracy that the number that you've predicted is going to be correct. It's, it's, it's so extremely unlikely. So, you've got to, as Charlie Munger says, you've got to give yourself a, a big margin of safety to account for the natural vicissitudes of life. So, from that number, the, the number that I like to use is a 50% margin of safety. So, I, I like to know that, yeah, even, even if I'm 50% wrong, I'm still going to be okay. Wow. The investment will still work out. Like, a lot of people don't go that heavy, but I, I do. And I think that if you're fairly new to investing, I try, I, I do that as well. But a lot of people go for like 20%, 30%. But then again, if you can wait for those 50% margin of safety options, then... It's pretty, pretty, yeah, pretty good deal. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever found one? Uh, not yet. So since I've actually started kind of switching my strategy to this margin of safety method, because, well, my opinion anyway is that at the moment, both the Australian and American markets, America in particular, is like very, very overvalued. So I, it's been very, I will admit, it's been very hard to find any companies that are close. I think that Facebook got kind of close. I think it fell down to about 120, but then it just pinged back up, which is, <laughs> I was like, God damn it. <laughs> yeah. Those were the four sort of pillars of um, rule one. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, there are many iterations of the value approach from, you know, from my point of view, as you said, finding cheap companies is good. Good, ca- good free cash flow is important, solid management, um, ones that invest their capital well and give good returns, all very important. From your perspective, are there any other key sort of pillars of value investing that Rule 1 didn't necessarily cover but that you have now added into your strategy? That's a good question. Anything that Rule 1 didn't cover that I've added in? I think... Rule one is when you read that book, it's kind of like you look at this number, then you look at this number, then you look at this number, and then you get you get to the end and it's it's kind of it's almost like formulaic. But one thing that I suppose rule one definitely talks about this, but one thing that I've put a lot more emphasis on now with my investing is making sure that I understand the business. Like before before anything else. Like if I don't understand the business, then I've just got no way of of making sure that the investment's a good one. So I probably just put a lot more more weight now in really trying to understand like where does the money come in from, you know, where does it go out and all all that sort of stuff. I think that like when you're looking at how to understand a business, if you can just first of all understand how the company makes money, I feel like that's a really, really good solid starting point. So that's what I like to do a lot of. I like to really explore how does this company make money and then go from go on to things like, okay, how much debt has it got? You know, what what are its potential growth areas in the future? How's the market, you know, looking at this company and what's what how does the company fit in its sector and, and that sort of thing. You know, a lot of beginners when they start off, you know, hope for the quick wins, I guess, just picking a stock and yeah. doubling, Don't do it. doubling their money or whatever it is. But <laughs> Don't do it. It's a long game. <laughs> well, yeah, as we've all learned, you know, over the last two years or three years, you need to put a lot of time into it. And the processes that you're explaining, can you just give us an idea of from beginning to end, how long you will spend looking at a stock? Yeah, probably a couple of months. Wow. Yeah. So you've got your spreadsheets. Time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got it all like sorted. The- it's it's just like like what Warren Buffett says. He spends most of his day reading. 
Yeah. And it, I guess it probably takes me a lot longer than maybe most because I'm, I'm not, I, you know, obviously my time is divided up into a lot of things. I'd like to spend a lot more time on my investing. But I think that you've just, at the end of the day, you've just got to really, as, as long as it takes, as long as it takes. So if you feel like you don't understand the business yet, keep reading, you know, keep watching the conference calls, you know, keep, keep listening to different opinion pieces and kind of piecing it all together, see what things are being highlighted. Just make sure you understand it. But yeah, uh, I'm certainly not in the game anymore of, of trying to make a quick buck because it, to be honest, it, in my experience, it just doesn't work. Yeah, I, I agree. So you find a stock by firstly starting to understand the company, you, you understand it, and then you think, all right, let's move on to the valuation side of things. Yep. Where where do you start there? What's your go-to first sort of, is it the, the balance sheet? Do you have yeah, a, a yeah. metric in mind? How do you start that process? Well, what I, what I kind of look at is that in the rule one approach, it kind of takes the, the way that, that it kind of explains it is that you look at the growth rate of a company. Now, the growth rate can be based on a couple of different things, but really, obviously, depending on what kind of company you're looking at and what sector, you might choose a different company. So, you can look at something like equity growth. I believe equity growth is the best predictor of share price growth. So, a lot of people like to look at equity growth. I mean, you can have a look at what the analysts are thinking and take an analyst consensus of just what this company can grow at. And then the rule one method is all about taking whatever you think the growth rate is for that company. And again, the growth rate you use will depend on how well you understand the business and what you think is most appropriate for from when, when you've understood the business. So, you might take, say you just take like an analyst growth rate, an analyst growth rate. you can apply that to what we're trying to do is then calculate, okay, say the company's got a certain earnings per share right now. We're trying to figure out, okay, well, if it keeps growing as it does, what might that earnings per share be in the future? And then from the earnings per share, you kind of look at, okay, what historically, what has this company kind of maintained as a PE ratio, so a price to earnings ratio? And then if you work out, okay, so this is the future, this is going to be potentially an estimated future um, uh, earnings per share number, then you can use the estimated P value to kind of give you an indication. What do you think this stock price might be, you know, like ballpark? And of course, it's just estimating. That's why the margin of safety is so important. So you kind of work that out to the future and kind of, all right, five years time, it might be ballpark. This share price might be around, I don't know, $300. And then after that, you go, okay, so it might get to about $300 in five years time nothing set in stone what kind of return do i want to get and say if, if i'm investing in an individual company i want maybe 15 percent per annum because if i only want 10 percent, then i may as well just buy the index and be done with it because in the long term that's what the index seems to do in australia so i kind of take that number and then okay if i can discount this back by 15 percent every year what does that give me as kind of like a fair value for the shares right now and then after you look at the fair value, of course, you've got to take in into account potential errors that you've made. And that's when the margin of safety comes into it. So I take that fair value and I take a big whopping margin of safety to make sure that if I do invest in that company, you know, even if things go a bit haywire, okay, I'm most likely to still make money in the long term. That's the way I look at it. Yeah, nice. So you've just talked through, I guess, the discounted cash flow. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Which is a model that, anyone can really find online there's so much um stuff on the the dc dcf or discounted cash flow mm. that if anyone's interested just jump online type that into google and you'll get yeah. a real understanding of what brandon was just talking about and you know for the longest time too i had no like this is me like i'm still very much in the learning phase as well i had no idea that method was called a discounted cash flow method <laughs> not up until maybe like half a year ago yeah. how crazy is that and i've been using it for the longest time and yeah someone's like oh that's a dcf and i was like uh what's a dcf <laughs> yeah and it just goes to show that if you start with that that model in mind and you think as a beginner you look at it and if you saw it on a spreadsheet you'd just be totally blown away and I guess a bit overwhelmed but you've been able to explain it step by step in a very uh, understandable way and it just yeah. you know it, it's not difficult once you at least understand how everything links to each other yeah um, exactly and then away you go um, so of all of the stocks that you spend months having a look at and you get to the end you throw on your whopping 50 percent margin of safety what percentage do you think you actually then go and buy not many because tr purely because at the moment not many meet that criteria 
So can you kind of figure that out early early on in the piece or do you actually wait until you get to the very end of the whole process and then... Yes, no, I kind of uh, like I, I cheat a bit. I try and just go, oh, yeah, that's an interesting stock. Maybe do a quick calculation and, and valuation. But remember, the valuation comes back to how well you understand the business. So the valuation you do at the start, you know, just following the straight up the method might not be the most appropriate once you understand where the business is at. But anyway, so, yeah, I'd, I'd go through that process pretty early in the piece. And if it's like a long way off, then I'll just be like, all right, let's just put that one on the back burner, maybe try and find something different. But really, I don't, I don't anymore. I don't stray outside my, my circle of competence. I really don't. So um, I don't actually have all that many stocks on the radar because I find that like a lot of people, if I'm not looking, if I'm not reading, like personally, I don't really like to read. Like, and that's pretty uncommon for, for someone that's investing all the time. So I find that if, if this company just doesn't have any relevance to me or it's not something that I use every day or I know a lot about, I'm just, I'm just going to give up. I just know that that's, that's who I am. I'm just not going to be able to tough it out and put in the hours of learning. So I keep the number of stocks that I watch quite small, actually. Yeah, no. and, uh, and I try and go deep on those companies. And to be honest... Like they say it all the time, the money, money is made in the stock market while you wait, just waiting for those opportunities. So that's why, to, to be honest, like there's not many opportunities from my method coming out. And to be honest, that's like all I get in the YouTube comments too. It's just like, oh, you know, Brandon, you, you value Facebook at this stupidly low 50% margin of safety. You, you can't actually expect that that's ever going to happen. And I just got to say, look, look, it may happen. It may not happen. But... When it, when it does. <laughs> yeah, if, if it does, then that's going to be fantastic. But if it doesn't, like, that's, not, that's no stress because I would rather wait and find a company that meets that margin of safety to really feel comfortable sinking a lot of money into it. Mm. Because, you know, if I bought something without a margin of safety, I'd just be stressing all the time. I'd be too focused on, you know, did yesterday, did the stock go up? Did it go down? Like, what's it doing? So, Do you think you will change your margin of safety? I think that... Yeah, I think that probably eventually I will. I think that I will. But because, to be honest, like I'm only three years into this sort of stuff. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah, so I think that it's really worthwhile, you know, err on the side of caution when you're a beginner. Like, so for me personally, I'm, I'm definitely looking for that 50% at the moment. I feel like most beginners should, but um, but yeah, like there's even talk in the Rule 1 book about, you know, you start feeling a bit better, you know, you'll do your first couple at 50% and you'll be like, ah, oh, this is pretty good. And then you might you might feel a bit more comfortable in going 30%. But again, again that just comes back down to understanding the business as well yeah so for investors that don't have i guess the the patience uh the understanding the time to sit down and and do a discounted cash flow and really look into the nuts and bolts of a company um which you know i think we both suggest everyone should at least give a crack but yeah. Um, you said at the start at the start of the show that etfs were very underrated so how yeah, do you yeah, how yeah. do you bring in ETFs into your investing. Let's talk a bit about your investing rhythm. Yeah. So to be honest, I really like the, the way I look at it is there's two styles overall of investing. There's either active investing or passive investing. Active investing is individual stock selection where you try and beat the market return. Passive investing is just purely participating in the market. So whatever happens to the market, that's what you're going to get as well. So I really enjoy looking into businesses, but at the same time, like I, I'm kind of, I've developed that self-awareness enough to say, look, you know, sure, Brandon, you think you're some hotshot stock picker, but at the end of the day, you might not actually be that great. <laughs> <laughs> let's be so honest. yeah, let's be honest here, Brandon. <laughs> um, so for me personally, I'm both an active and a passive investor. So. I like to really look into individual businesses, but at the same time, I love to have a cushion of passive investing just to break my fall in case everything goes horribly wrong. So for me, it's, it's maybe it's like a, a 30-70 split with the passive being the 30%. But I like to just know that obviously you can just you can put some money in market tracking ETFs and if you don't touch it for 60 years, in 60 years you will have made money. Like it's a so such an extremely high likelihood that you will have made money. So as as we were saying like before, the average over 115 years in the Australian stock market has been yeah, average annual return of 10% or 9.95% for the ASX 300. So 
So I feel like there's definitely a place. And if you are someone that doesn't want to spend the time, you know, because for, for instance, some people just want to set up their future, but they just don't care about the stock market. Fair enough. Like, unless you're really into business, like what, what we've kind of developed, if maybe you just like football, then you want to still kind of be financially free at some point in your life, but you don't want to put in the hours of, oh, what's Facebook doing now? What's Zuckerberg up to? What's their return on invested capital and that sort of stuff? So in that case, it's, it's super helpful. You can just buy the index, okay? And a lot of the times for the passive investor, their superpower is the fact that they just don't care. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like that is their superpower. They come back in six months, they put a bit more into this ETF. They come back in another six months, they put a bit more into this ETF. Yeah. Their superpower is that no matter what's happening in the market, no matter what their next door neighbor tells them, no matter what, they know that their their style is that they come back and they'll put they'll track the market and they'll keep contributing to that investment throughout their whole life. And one day they come back when they're sixty and or probably like more like when they're fifty and they'll be super rich. Yeah, no, it's, a, it's a really good, really good point. So then how do you put that into practice? You said roughly 30, 70. So with your 70 split, you're doing the valuation side of things and there's probably not a lot out there at the moment that is worth investing in. But the 30, do you have a consistent rhythm and approach to investing in ETFs regardless of where the market's at or are you sitting back with that at the, as well at the moment? Yeah, so I think... I think when it comes to passive investing, you can do like pure, um, uh, what's the word, dollar cost averaging, yeah. which is pretty much just like where you, you take the same amount of money and you invest it broadly across the whole market at set time intervals and you just keep going. Like no matter what's happening in the market, super expensive or super cheap, you just keep going. So I try, I tend to try and go for that approach, just, you know, dollar cost averaging through my passive investing. You can then kind of mess around with it because obviously I'm so so into the active side of things. You can kind of find times where the market, you feel like the market's undervalued and you're like, okay, I might put a little bit more into my passive investing now and then vice versa. If it's like really overvalued, you could say, look, I, I think the market might be a bit hot. So maybe let's just not put too much money in at the moment, sit on the sidelines. But I think for the vast majority of people, and I think to be honest, the best strategy is if you want to be a passive investor, just commit to a strategy and say, look, every six months, I'm going to add, I don't know, $2,000 to my ETF holdings and just keep going and going and going and going and going. And if you keep it consistent, the same amounts in the same time intervals, you will average out to the market return, yeah. whether it's cheap or expensive over the long term, you're going to average out to the market return. So that's the way to do it, I reckon. What's your time horizon for investing? Do you have an absolute buy and hold and this is just going to be until I die approach? Yeah, definitely for the passive investing side of things. Um, I'm putting that money and saying, look, I'm not touching that until I retire. Yeah. Like, seriously, I'm not touching that for a long time. With the active investing side of things, like I'm so in tune, like I really like what Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger do. Like I really do like what they do. So they always say that don't invest in a company for 10 minutes unless you're comfortable with holding it for 10 years. And I, I try, when, when I'm looking at businesses and I'm like on the fence, I always just try and sit back and go, would I be willing to hold this for 10 years? If, if all hell broke loose, in the markets, if we had 2008, 2009 all over again in the markets tomorrow, would I be comfortable holding this company through thick and thin and coming back in 10 years and seeing where it's at then? So that's kind of my, like whether or not I buy and sell a, or whether or not I sell a stock in a year or five or 10 or 20 or whatever, I always try and go in with the mindset that I'm basically going to hold it for a decade at least. Yeah. I like how he says that you want to be, at, you want to be choosing stocks that even if the market closed, you would still keep because they're just such good businesses. You're not so much worried about the fluctuation in share price. You know that they're going to be delivering you, you a return just because they're, they're a good business. Do you use any of the microfinancing apps that are out there, you know, the, the raise and, and those sorts of things or purely just through your broker? No, I, I definitely do think they're doing a good thing, those apps, especially like raise and that sort of thing where it, it kind of just helps everyday people just make it a habit. I think that's really important to long-term wealth creation is make it something that does become a pattern, a habit, something that you always do. Um, for me personally, because I'm just like paying attention to this stuff all the time, I feel like I don't need to have something like that churning in the background. So I'll literally just do it manually myself, go into a broker for the passive stuff, invest every whatever half a year. Um, and then for the active stuff, just keep a tab on it, go through the broker and then and then invest. Yeah, nice. 
Well, Brandon, we could probably keep talking about this all day. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I am a bit of a talker. I do tend to go off on tangents. <laughs> no, it's been good. I think we certainly um, see eye to eye on a lot of things. Yeah. Let's, oh, we'll, that's good. We'll quickly just talk a bit about your channel because, as I said, I think it's a, it's a great resource and something that I'm even going to start oh, watching and, and subscribing to. I think you, you know, we're both trying to do the same thing. So what's what's the approach for sort of the next year with, with Aussie Wealth Creation? Is just continue the way things are. Yeah. Anything big coming? Um, I don't know if I got anything too big going. I'm I'm pretty busy. We just do kind of like two videos a week on personal finance. I cover passive investing um, and active investing. You know, I do specific company breakdowns. Um, I should do another one of those. I haven't done one of those in a while actually. But talk about like money saving tips and just like personal finance in general. Um, and then we do the Young Investors podcast. Um, so we're working really hard. Apparently, the, there's these guys that do some Equity Mates podcast, and we got to yeah, watch out for them. <laughs> yeah, we got we got to try and knock knock them off the top perch at the moment. <laughs> no, um, so yeah, myself and my friend Hamish Hodder, who lives down in Melbourne, we uh, we do a podcast called the Young Investors podcast um, every week. So. There's that as nice. well. And yeah, that keeps me busy. And yeah, hopefully just more of the same. Hopefully keep the keep the people entertained for the next year. We have three questions that we always finish the show with. So, I think you've already answered it, but do you have any, do you have any must-read books? <laughs> <laughs> must-read books. Uh, well, yeah, I have definitely answered that. Um, so, I'll, I'll just go through because So, Philtown, ha- Philtown is where I would start if you want to learn more about this kind of strategy. His first book is Rule One. His second book is Payback Time. And he just released a third book with his daughter called Invested. And that was last year. So, if you actually want... And they all kind of go through the same strategy. So, you could pick... You could literally pick any one of them. But if you want to have a really up-to-date um, or kind of explanation of where, where he thinks also the market is at and some indicators where you can tell whether the market's hot at the moment and whether maybe you want to just stay out for a little while to let it cool back down. Um, he talks about that and obviously he released it last year. So, it's got a lot of up-to-date information about kind of where we're sitting at the moment. So, I'd probably say, yeah, um, Invested's a good one to go with. Um, and then, yeah, Intelligent Investor, if you can hack it, if you've been in it for a while. But um, Probably audiobook that because it's a hard one to read. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, where do you go to find investing information? Oh, um, I, I go a lot to Yahoo Finance just because I like how it's laid out yep. and it kind of gives you multiple years so you can just track, like pretty easily track growth or, or on the flip side, tracking uh, declines and that sort of thing. Um, but to be honest, that's, that might give you a bit of a broad summary of where the company's at, might give you a bit of a snapshot. And then from there, I like to go in and, and read annual reports and quarterly reports. And I really like to listen to conference calls as well. So, yeah, conference that- calls, are they've got a lot of information in them. It's pretty much you can just listen, literally listen to the CEO and the management team talking about where the business is at, where they think it's going. So, yeah, conference calls is a good place to go as well. Yeah, I'm going to throw that on the list because they're certainly underrated. Something that I am going to start doing a bit more of as well. So, I'd com- mm. almost completely forgot that um, they're a, an excellent resource. So, thanks for reminding mm. me. Yeah, yeah. What would you tell yourself 10 years ago? Usually, we say, what would you tell yourself when you're 25, whatever, but I'm yeah. as- assuming we're pretty close to that age. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, what would you tell yourself 10 years ago? 10 years ago, uh, to be honest, I'd probably tell myself only go to uni if you really, you really know what you want to do. And if that is the case, if you know what you want to do, do you need to go through uni to get there? I feel like now that I've gone through it, I, I feel like now that I've gone through it, I kind of look back at it and I'm kind of just like, ah, racked up a lot of, a lot of debt for that. But like, I, I do value the uni process and like I got a degree out of it. So I was pretty happy, but Again, I think a lot of people, I've been consuming a lot of Gary Vaynerchuk's content. Do you know Gary V? No. No. Uh, he's just like a businessman, entrepreneur. Um, he runs a company called VaynerMedia. Um, but uh, he he's always talking about, because he's like, I don't know, he's like 50 or something. He's always talking about, look, you're, you're 30, you're 25. You know, everyone's, all the on- young entrepreneurs are saying, oh, my life's over. You know, I haven't done anything at 25. And like so many of the big, so many of the big business owners didn't even get started until they're like over 50. Yeah, yeah. So, I think that I'd tell myself going back, just like, be patient, you're very young. You've got a lot of time. And I'd also tell myself to start passive investing right now. 
because if you're passive investing the earlier you start the better it gets absolutely <laughs> you're young start now exactly <laughs> Time is start on your side. now yeah exactly yeah, yeah yeah well thanks for joining us um on equity mates brandon unfortunately ren couldn't be here um but i'm sure we will make contact at some point in the future again anyway as i have said many times through the show i'm you know we're both trying to do the same thing here and it's it's great to find someone like-minded in that sense so great having you on the show appreciate your time and we'll certainly keep in touch yeah thanks very much for having me on i'm honored to come on and, and have a chat to you about all things stocks so yeah thanks for having me on and hopefully yeah we can do it again equity mates and the people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned this is general advice only please speak to a financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your individual situation. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 